Close relationships help us to grow from John the 12th chapter and verses 1 through 8. That's kind of our beginning point. We're going to look at various uh, passages this morning. But I want to kind of go ahead and give you uh, the points we're going to take a look at because I want to show you a few slides here in just a moment. Three points that we're going to give consideration to in regards to close relationships help us to grow. We're going to take a look at New Commandment. That's from John the 13th chapter. In close relationships, we reveal ourselves, and we'll take a look at John 12 and John 11 and Mark 14 and Matthew 26 and so forth, and then close friends sense our burdens, and we'll take a look at that also. I want to share a couple of slides with you this morning as we think about this. We think about relationships. We think about close relationships. We think about friends. And so I want to kind of get your mind centered on that first before we get right into the lesson. So I'm going to give you these couple of slides. Friends. Friends fight for you. They respect you. They include you. They encourage you. They need you. They deserve you. They stand by you. And so you think about those closest friends that you have and you kind of identify with that slide there. But also this. A friend is one who knows us but loves us anyway. <coughs> Isn't that true? And so, this is also, we've been through some tough times together, but we made it through. The only one I ever trusted was you. You have a friend like that you just feel really confident in and that you trust no matter what the situation might be. And then, friendship is total certainty but total truth. And we'll kind of talk about that in just uh, a moment here. I'm going to give you uh, an illustration as we get started this morning and kind of draw a comparison because I want us to understand in the dispensation that we live in, the Christian, we have close relationships, can have close relationships because of what God has done. So here's the illustration. A couple of years ago, probably about four or five decades actually, <laughs> sitting in a college classroom studying economics, there was a couple of terms that was emphasized right off the bat, and the instructor professor was saying, you got to get this in your mind, you got to understand this, if you're going to understand economics at all, there's two terms that you need to become familiar with. Macro and micro, he said, you've got to become familiar with. Macroeconomics has to do with the economies on a national level. These are the economies of countries. And on the macro level, you come to understand things like GDP, gross domestic product, the output of goods and services. You come to understand monetary policy and interest rates and inflation and employment and all these kinds of things. And so national leaders make decisions based upon that information. That's macroeconomics. It's the big picture of the economy. But now the decisions that they make on that level is what impacts microeconomics. This is the economy 
on the level where we feel it. Do you have a job? <laughs> How are you being paid? Small business is affected by decisions that are made up here. It's macro and it's micro. I want to suggest to you that we can spiritually make an application along those lines. There's macro decisions that God has made, but it impacts on the micro level. Let me give you an illustration of that. We often talk, at times talk about the big picture, don't we? And we talk about the story that's revealed within the scriptures. And we divide it up into three categories. We say there's the patriarchal, there's the mosaic, and then there's the Christian dispensation. God a long time ago had a plan and that plan was going to be worked out this way. It was going to be first the patriarchal age and then it was going to be the mosaic age and then it was going to be the Christian dispensation. Macro. God planned. And in that first dispensation, God dealt with man on this level through the heads of families. And he planned in that dispensation, under the decision that he had made, he would call a man, <laughs> Abraham. And he would plan for the next dispensation. I'm going to call you, and through you, and through your descendants, I'll make a nation. And so when it came to the next step, the mosaical age, that nation, that man, his descendants became a multitude and he turned them into a nation. And he gave the Mosaic Law and he gave the priesthood and he gave sacrifices and that decision made up here impacted them down here. And then you come to the Christian dispensation and God had planned all along he would send his son on this level. But when he came, it impacted man on this level. Individuals, families, churches impacted on this level because God had made this decision on this level. Can you see that? John the 13th chapter. In John chapter 13... In verse 34 and verse 35. This is the last night that Jesus is going to be with his disciples. And in John chapter 13 and verse 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see what he's saying? God, on this level, had determined he would send his son. And his son showed his love. And that impacts us on this level. And Jesus says, by this, this is the kind of relationship I want you to have. And if you have that kind of relationship, then all men will know that you are my disciples. 
That decision that was made up here has come down and made an impact here. And I want those in the world to see that impact on you. Your relationships will be recognizable. They'll be different. And so that raises the question for us as Christians. Are our relationships recognizable? So here's a question to go along with that. Have you ever been a part of or you have you ever seen a group of people, close friends, and you go, wow, are they ever good friends? <laughs> I'd like to have friends like that. That's the kind of relationship they have. Or have you ever seen a family that's really tight-knit and you go, I'd like for my family to be like that. Relationships that are recognizable. And that's what Jesus is talking about in John the 13th chapter. Now then, how do we get that? Well, in the New Testament, we have what is referred to as those one another passages. The Greek word that is used there is alinon. And it means one another, it means each other, it means mutually, it means reciprocal. And that phrase is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. Over 50 of those times, about probably 59 times for those who count those things. <laughs> it's a command. One another passages that are put in the form of a command. Now the reason why we need to give consideration to that is because a fellow said one time in regards to the law of Moses. He said, those are ten commandments, not ten suggestions. <laughs> and so when you come to these one another passages, these are commands. They're not just suggestions. If you're going to have the kind of relationship that Jesus talks about in John the 13th chapter, then he's saying you've got to do this. This is what, is what helped develop those kind of relationships. And so as you take those and you look at all those throughout the New Testament, I didn't list all of those. First point, right, from this slide. <laughs> I didn't list all of those. If you want them, I can give them to you. But what you find is you take a look at those one another passages, they fall into two categories. There's the positive and then there's the negative. This is what I would like for you to do for one another. This is what I would like for you not to do to one another. And so let me just run down through some of these so that we get the idea of what he's talking about when he's talking about positive and negative commands. John 13, 34. Love one another. Positive. Romans 12 and verse 10. Be devoted to one another. Romans 14 and verse 19. Build up one another. Romans 15 and verse 7. Accept one another. Romans 15 and verse 14, admonish. Sometimes you may need to correct one another. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 25, care for one another. Galatians 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4 and verse 15, speak 
truth in love <laughs> to one another. I'll just kind of quickly run down through these that we are to forgive one another, be patient with one another, be kind to one another, compassionate with one another, submit. And whenever you take a look at that passage, it says that we are to submit to one another. Some translations render that serve one another. And the idea behind that is, I may see that you are in some kind of need. My submission to you is, I serve you. I see to that need. Can we see that? That's submitting to one another, serving one another. We are to show hospitality to one another. We are to pray for one another. We are to confess our faults to one another. On the negative, Colossians 3 and verse 9. Do not lie to one another. The Lord is trying to develop relationships. You know what happens when you lie to one another? (laughs) It destroys trust, which destroys relationships. Romans 14 and verse 13. Stop passing judgment on one another. I think Brian mentioned this in class this morning. I would just mention this. Romans 3 and verse 23. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Stop and think about that. God's trying to heal us. Jesus Christ trying to heal us. I'm broke. You're broke. We need healed. I need healed. You need healed. And how does it work if I look at you and go, you're broke? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are too. (laughs) Well, we ought to try and help one another. Galatians 5 and verse 15 says, If you bite and devour one another... You'll be destroyed by one another. James 4. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against each other. Do not provoke one another. Envying one another. And why should we do and not do these things? Because in Romans 12 verse 5, we are members of one another. Let me give you this survey. So keeping those one another passages in mind and building the kind of relationships that God wants us to have, there was this survey that was done. Now I know these are man-made surveys, but sometimes they can be beneficial in helping us to see ourselves and to see where we are spiritually. So the purpose of this particular survey was to assess the spiritual vitality of congregations. The spiritual vitality of congregations. Have you ever gone to visit someplace and you walk in and you're there and then you leave and you go, that place is dead. (laughs) Or you go visit someplace and you leave and you go, wow, that was uplifting. Those people seem excited about being there. Well, that was the purpose of this survey, to kind of take an assessment of the spiritual vitality of congregations. And in this survey, what they found is, and once again, this is not scientific, this is just a man-made survey, there's kind of four categories that people fall into. And it's helpful to recognize that because then you can see how you can help people. And it said in groups that there's normally four. And in the very first category, the very first group, these are the folks that are actually just kind of coming to visit. You'll have that. They'll come and they'll visit. 
they're kind of exploring Christianity, <laughs> examining it. I want to come and see. I call these people the folks who are peeking over the fence. You know what I'm saying? But let me ask you this. Isn't the goal to get them to climb the fence and come join? But they say in those categories, these people come and they're looking. In the second category, there are those who have climbed the fence on the other side and they are young Christians just starting to learn to really grow. And then in the third group, there are those who are becoming active. They've learned more, they've grown more, and maybe they're starting to teach and do these kind of things or take roles in the worship service and so forth. But in that fourth category, these are the folks that are growing more mature and they are interested in developing close relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They themselves see the benefit of being in relationships. And they want others to know the benefits. Have you ever talked to a person, and I've had this direct statement made to me, talking to them about becoming a Christian, so this would fall into that very first category. They're just starting to learn, and they say something like this. Well, if I become a Christian, what will I have to give up? You ever heard that? Have you ever said that? <laughs> Thought that yourself? What would you really like that person to see? I would really like to get your focus on what you gain in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Paul said in Philippians 3? There was a time when I thought my life, it was it. But I learned to count that as rubbish because of what I gained in Jesus Christ. That's what you'd like to help those folks come to see. And in that second group, they're growing. They're starting to develop. That third group, they're taking active part. That fourth group, they understand and realize the benefits of Christianity, what they gained in Jesus Christ, and in those relationships, and would like to help others engage in those kind of relationships. So let me ask you this question before we go any further. Do you see yourself in one of those groups? And which group are you in? Because I want to suggest to you, it's those close relationships that are extremely valuable and help people to grow in Jesus Christ. Spiritual relationships, and that was the point of that survey. Spiritual relationships are vital to spiritual vitality 
in a congregation. Jesus said, John 13 and verse 34 and 35, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. They will see recognizable relationships. Secondly, in close relationships, that's where we reveal ourselves. Now I want you to take and turn to Luke the 10th chapter, 38 through 42, and here's three people we want to give consideration to that we're familiar with. It's Jesus, it's Martha, and it's Mary. Luke the 10th chapter, and I'll begin at verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Think about that. This is Jesus in the home of Martha and Mary. And Martha just kind of reveals What's on her mind? Doesn't she? So let me ask you another question. Bill, are you listening? <laughs> Back in the day, Bill's old enough to remember that. That's why I call on him. Amen. <laughs> Back in the day, on Sunday after worship in the morning, a lot of times the preacher would be invited over for Sunday dinner, wouldn't they, Bill? Now, you know what happens when the preacher is invited over for Sunday dinner? Mom and dad have already had a talk with the kids, and they're explaining to them, this is the way this is all going to go down. <laughs> and truth known, oftentimes it's mom then telling dad, this is also the way it's going to go for you, too. <laughs> and so the preacher comes over and everybody's on their best behavior right and the conversation is kind of like on the surface cordial but if it's a preacher that has maybe moved to that area and now he's going to work with that congregation and then they get to know each other. And then they start to get comfortable with one another. And then eventually, maybe it's the dad, maybe it's the mom, maybe it's the one of the kids that's teenage, whatever it might be. And they feel comfortable enough and they say, I'd like to ask you something. And then it kind of starts to come out. And it's on that level that spiritual growth can take place. 
Now I'm comfortable enough with you that I can really talk to you about what matters to me and what's important in my life and where I am and what I've done or maybe haven't done and, and all these kind of things. But that doesn't just happen just between preachers and members. That happens between members too. That's why James says what he does. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. That you might be cured. Of what? <laughs> of sin. That's what we're talking about. Now you can help me. Or I can help you. Now we're on a level where there's some good stuff that can happen and take place. As you take a look at Luke, the 10th chapter, I think there's a familiarity that is there in Luke, the 10th chapter. Jesus has gone to the home of Martha and Mary. I don't think this is the very first time that Jesus has ever had an encounter with Martha and Mary. Because Jesus comes into and is in this home. And what does Mary do? <laughs> she comes over and plops down at Jesus' feet. And what does Martha do? She just does the Martha thing and she's kind of busy. But how long did that go on before it finally all came out? Because normally in those kind of situations, it's like the person who is busy, they will be doing this and that and they will... They will try to get your attention. <laughs> get out in the kitchen and help me. So you understand, this probably went on for a little while. And Martha, her temperature is starting to rise till finally it gets to the point where she says, Lord! <laughs> now think about that. The preacher in the home when do you think the host would finally get to the point where she uncorks on the guest? You'd have to have a certain level of comfort to talk to him like that, wouldn't you? And the one she's really wanting to get to is her sister. Normally, the mom and dad have already told the kids there better not be any fighting while the preacher's here, right? And yet... She lets the Lord know she's not pleased with her sister and what she's doing. But Jesus answered. He says, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about so many things. But Mary, she's chosen the good part. And that will not be taken away from her. Now, I don't know exactly the tone that Jesus used. But it seems based upon the dialogue there. He was redirecting one. And he was encouraging the other. And he did it in kindness. Martha, you got your focus too much on the wrong thing. And you're wanting to scold your sister 
or have me do it. But I want to suggest to you at this time, you should take a lesson from your sister. It wasn't normally the habit of women to sit at the feet of rabbis at that time. But that's what Mary was doing. And I'm not going to just throw this out for you to chew on while we go through the rest of this lesson. What do you think Mary learned while sitting there? I don't think that was just an immediate thing. I think this went on for a while. And she's sitting at the feet of Jesus long enough that Martha becomes agitated to where it just finally comes out. So you keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this lesson this morning. But you have to ask yourself, would Martha have acted that way if she wasn't comfortable? Would Mary have acted that way if she wasn't comfortable? Now I'll give you another illustration. I'm not saying that I recommend this sitcom. I've seen it a couple times. It's not always the most wholesome, but I know you're familiar with it. There was a show called Friends. You ever seen it? It's a group of young adults, and they're kind of launching into adulthood, and they're looking for relationships and so forth. And within that group of friends, if you kind of look at them individually, there's one of them that's kind of controlling. There's one of them that's kind of sarcastic. There's one of them that's kind of tender-hearted. There's one of them that's kind of, well, there's actually a couple of them that are kind of dingy. <laughs> but you know what makes the show work? They're friends. And through the ups and downs, through the challenges and the good times, and sometimes they get on one another. But the bottom line is they're always there for one another. That's why I make it work. So I'll tell you this. There's something there's something powerful. And there's also something liberating about the freedom to be yourself with another person. Because when you're free to be who you are, you're also free to become better. (laughs) And that's what friends help each other do. They help you see the world. They help you see them. They help you see yourself. Back to the preacher story. (laughs) You don't really grow while you're pretending. You grow when it gets real. When there's a certain comfort level that is achieved. Now you can grow. That's what Jesus is talking about, John 13. Love one another. Accept one another. 
be patient with one another. Encourage, build up, sometimes admonish. But when it's honest, when you know they're there, that's what helps you grow. So I want you to look at these three friends, Jesus and Mary and Martha, again. This time from John, the 11th chapter. John chapter, let me get there. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. John adds a little detail here that uh, is very insightful. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Listen to what John says. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. You get a sense that there's a closeness here from this passage also. Because it says, Lord, the one whom you love, This is Lazarus, this is our brother. He's sick. And down in verse 11, Jesus will even say to his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. (laughs) And the disciples respond and say, Well, if he's fallen asleep, he'll revive. (laughs) And in verse 14, Jesus makes it very plain Lazarus is dead. Oh, now I get it. But Jesus didn't respond immediately when he got word from Martha and Mary. He tarried a little. In fact, he tarried to the point of of four days. And there's a closeness. And so they had to wonder, how come... How come he wasn't immediately there? Well, I don't say this. This friend, (laughs) Jesus, he does more than just show up for the funeral. In fact, he kind of lets the funeral go by. Then he shows up. Martha goes out to meet him. And she asked him, Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. You know what they're saying? I thought you were my friend. (laughs) I know you can heal. And our brother was sick. I thought you'd be here. That's what she's thinking. Jesus knew what she'd be thinking. And a little bit later on, Mary comes out and she says the same thing. And so they're just kind of being brutally honest. But look at verse 23. John 11 and verse 23. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, 
Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Isn't that something? See, they come out to meet him. Our brother Lazarus was sick. We called for you. You didn't show up. And if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. You know how they saw him? (laughs) As one who could heal their brother from sickness. You know how Jesus wanted them to see him? I am the resurrection. I am the life. Martha, I want you to see me. I want you to see me for who I really am. I want you to see me for all that I am. And then he says, do you believe this? One of the greatest confessions that all of Scripture takes place right there by Martha. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who is to come into the world. Now we get to Jesus' point. You believe that, Martha? So now I want you to understand how that applies to your life. See? Because now you will never see life the same again. You will never see death the same again, Martha. This is the truth, Martha. Let me help you make application of the truth. Because the truth is the game changer, Martha. It changes you. It changes life. It changes the way you see me. It changes the way you see your brother. And it changes the way you see this entire situation. Let me help you make the application. If I'm your friend... Let me help you apply the truth to your life. Now here's the point. First for them, but now for us. You think this world is in a lot of trouble? (laughs) You think our society is all stirred up, upside down? There is no part of life or society that the truth And Jesus Christ does not touch. You want to know about race relations? The social unrest hucksters that are out there, they want to stir this up. But you want to know about race relations? Read Acts the 17th chapter. 
You want to know about gender issues? Read Genesis 1. You want to know about government and their role? Read Romans 13. You want to know about homosexuality? Read 1 Corinthians 6. You want to know about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Read Matthew 19. You want to know about violence and how people should treat one another? Read Matthew 7. You want to know about the poor? <laughs> Read 2 Thessalonians 3. If a man won't work, guess what? Don't let him eat. Friends, help us see the truth and make application of the truth. One last passage, Mark the 14th chapter. Once again, it's these, these same friends. Close friends have a sense for what we're going through for our burdens. Mark 14, verse 1 through 9. After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might make him, or might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, now listen where he is. And being at Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, he sat at the table and a woman, who did John tell us that woman was? It was Mary. <laughs> a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii, and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Verse 1. After two days, it was the Passover. See the progression in time? It's getting close now. That final week, Jesus came to Bethany. And it seems like Bethany was that sort of place in that area because he had friends there. And those would host him that he went from Bethany to Jerusalem and then at the end of the day he would come back again 
at the beginning of the week, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to Hosannas. But even while the people were shouting Hosannas, the religious leaders were plotting against Him. And by the end of the week, public sentiment will turn. But there's Mary. And now it says it's only two days to the Passover. And Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper and there is a meal that is being given to him. And Mary's there. And they're all sitting around. And Mary gets up and she goes there and she opens this flask, breaks this flask, and she anoints him with it. And they become indignant. And what does Jesus say? Leave her alone. <laughs> she has done what she could do for me. She has anointed me for my burial. Close friends. Close friends. They can see, they can sense what's going on in your life. Do you think by this time she's starting to realize he's not long for this world? She anoints him. And Jesus said, she's anointed me for my burial. She's done what she could do what she did did not change Jesus' mission it didn't change his fate <laughs> but do you know what it said it said you got a friend you got somebody that's with you Galatians 6. Bear one another's burdens. So in close relationships, close friends, remember those one another passages. Close friends know who you really are. Close friends sense what you're going through. And close friends let you know that they care. Proverbs 18, chapter and verse 24. If a man would have friends, he himself must be a friend. And we have to remember that. And so we think, and back to the survey, spiritually vital. If we want to be that kind of church, then we've got to be that kind of church. If you want to draw close to the Lord, you draw close to one another. That's where real growth 
can take place. If you want to have relationships that are more precious than any material possession you can have in this life, remember the one and other passages. Remember the new commandment that Jesus gave. In close relationships, we grow, we sense one another's burdens, and we show that we care. Close relationships is what God desires. And close relationships is what helps us to grow. That's the lesson about close relationships. If you're here this morning and you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, we would encourage you to make that step. That's the first relationship that you establish is between you and the Lord through Jesus Christ. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should and you need to come back to Him and make your relationship with Him right and your relationship with your brothers and sisters right, we want to help you in any way we can while together we stand and while we sing.